Hi, my name is Alan. I'm a business designer and welcome to the Beyond Users podcast, where we learn about business to become better designers who not only solve user challenges, but also achieve business goals. In many companies, designers do not prepare the product roadmap. We are handed a feature list and expected to just do it. But we've all been in situations where we felt that what we're working on just isn't right. But how do you push back? How do you correctly recognize what to create? For example, does a, a hobby runner, so somebody running for fun, want a better running shoe? Or do they just want to be faster? Or do they want to lose some weight? Because if we understand correctly what people want, what is their job to be done, we can work on the right solution. And this solution might be a different product which requires a completely different set of features. So as you've probably already recognized, a great framework that we're going to talk about in this podcast is called Jobs to be Done. So it promises us to identify the right customer jobs, so the right customer goals, so what people really want to do prioritize our product roadmap, and also speak the language uh, that business better understands. So it gives us the language to push back when we feel like the, what we're building is not the right thing. So to help us better understand this framework, uh, I spoke with Jim Kalbach. So Jim is a noted author, speaker, and instructor in design, um, and he's also head of customer experience at Mural, leading online whiteboard. So he recently wrote a book called The Jobs to be Done Playbook, which is coming out in early April. So we spoke about the different chapters in the book, basically how did Jim first encounter the framework, how he uses it in his own work, how to do uh, interviews to basically create job stories, and how it basically can drive the product prioritization and business strategy talks in our company. So now, without further ado, here is a conversation with Jim. So, Jim, I thought it's going to be maybe interesting to talk about just when did you learn about jobs to be done framework? You know, how did you get to know it? And then also, what is it? What is jobs to be done? Right. Yeah. So I think it was about 2003 or 2004, um, a guy named Tony Ulwick, who's a pioneer in jobs to be done wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review um, that I picked up. Um, it's how to innovate around customers. I can't think of the exact title of that. Um, but at the time, you know, I was, I was, you know, squarely in a design team at the time, thinking about user-centered design and journey mapping and, and all that good stuff. And it, it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks, what he was talking about, because he was essentially talking about user needs, human needs. Um, but from a business standpoint, he, he doesn't, they don't, he doesn't come from design. A lot of the jobs to be done literature, it's not, they're not designers, right? So jobs to be done is not a design uh, uh, discipline in, in origin. And, and, it, and it just, for me, there was just a big click that, you know, design can inform business and vice versa as well too. And it was that article. And then I just started getting very interested in it, dabbled in it myself in my own, in my own work from there and, um, you know, started reading all of the, the literature, everything that I could and tried to practice it on the job as, as, as much as possible there. So I have over a decade of experience, you know, with the literature, but also in, you know, in my job trying to, uh, trying to put things into, into practice. Uh, and, you know, for me, jobs to be done is there's, there's lots of different perspectives out there. So, you know, if you Google the topic, you might get into um, kind, of, kind of some confusing or messy ground. 
given the, the sources that are out there. Um, but for me, JavaScript done is, I see it as a way of seeing, a uh, way of seeing a market, right? <clears throat> um, I, I know there are lots of methods and techniques out there, but for me, it's a mindset. It's a perspective. And it's a perspective to focus on human problems independent of your solution. So for me, jobs to be done and job, I call it jobs thinking in my book. It's really a flip of perspective nice. uh, from taking, taking your brand, taking your product, taking all the assumptions you, you have, taking the ego out of you know, the, the landscape that you're trying to model and then design for. You take all of that out and you truly look at it from, a, from the individual's perspective. What are they trying to be, get done? And then jobs to be done provides a language and a way to look at human outcomes. How do, how do people see them? It's a model for how people see themselves without your product or your brand in, in the mix. So for me, it was a way to kind of shift perspectives and say, okay, we have you know, a go-to-market motion, marketing and a product and a solution. What are the people trying to get done? Let's start there and then work back towards the solution, right? So for me, it was really a language and an exploration around the outcomes that people have and the problem space, as I call it. It's, it's, it for me, it's a problem space uh, language and way of seeing. So you were mentioning user needs. So what's the difference between a user need and a job to be done? Okay, um, that's a good question. I, um, and, and I've struggled with this uh, myself. The way that I see it, and again, you might find different um, opinions out there. I see, I see a job as an objective. It's the thing that people are trying to get done. And that can be just very, very straightforward and, and simple. Um, so if you're a, an attendee of a conference, the job you're trying to get done is attend a conference. It's, it's that simple. But it's not, it's not the goal. It's actually a process. So I look at the job to be done as, as the process of trying to do that, right? It's, it's the whole thing. It's the beginning, middle, and end of that. But for me, the job, is, the job to be done is the objective. The need is the success criteria that you get from that, from doing that, that you need from that job, right? So one thing that, the, like I said, jobs to be done is a language to look at outcomes. It actually separates that objective from, well, what do you need in the context of doing that job? So for me, a need would be if I'm attending a conference, just to use an example there, right? I want to, I want to increase the amount of contacts that I make there for my network, or I want to uh, increase my contact with new topics, um, you know, maximize the learning that I get. So you can look at a need um, in relation to that objective. Um, but you, there is a language and there is a technique for actually separating those things. The objective and the needs from those objectives are, are separated in jobs to be done language, at least from my perspective. Mm. So why is this concept so powerful? Why is working with jobs to be done instead of the user wants and needs? Why is that better for designers and also for developers and others? <sighs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's better. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of hype around jobs to be done. There's a lot of contention around jobs to be done. Yeah. People who have been doing user centered design um, for a while, and I have, you know, say, yeah, but we we did task analysis 20 years ago, or you know, uh, go go out and read goal directed design from Alan Cooper, and and they're all offended that jobs to be done um, overlaps with what they're doing. And the reality is, it does overlap. It it it, it for me, it's just. Um, 
it's a it's a different flavor of a lot of things that have been de developed in human centered design fields for the past you know three four decades. Uh, and jobs to be done does have a, a long history as well too. Over you know twenty thirty years, people have been looking at uh, things from this way. Um, I think jobs to be done does have some differences. One of them is it it really takes the solution out out of out of the equation, right? You're you're not necessarily looking at things through the lens of your your product or your solution. And the goal isn't necessarily to to build something either, right? Because jobs to be done for me, jobs to be done can be used in customer success, marketing, business strategy, all kinds of things. Jobs to be done is not a design technique. Right. So it overlaps with design techniques, but I think it's broader than that. Right. So um, uh, so I think it's I think jobs to be done is powerful in that way, is that it's a way that a whole organization can be user centered without having to put a design label on any of the techniques. Right. So mm -hmm. so that's one thing that's really powerful for me. And the, the book that I have coming out in April, I basically take that approach. I show that jobs thinking or the perspective that, that you get from, from working with jobs to be done can be applied um, across an organization, right? And no one team or discipline owns it either. Uh, and I talk to a lot of marketing customer success people these days that are seriously looking into jobs to be done as a, as a guiding light for them. The other big thing for me about jobs to be done is, as I just mentioned, um, it comes from the business side of things. Right. And, and, you know, as a designer, um, you know, we've been we, you know, capital W, uh, capital D for designer. We've been pounding our fist on the table for a long time saying we want to see the table. Listen to us. We think we we think we can help business. We're not just about aesthetics. Right. We've been saying that for a very long time. <clears throat> um, and I for me, jobs to be done is an opportunity. I don't I don't understand the resistance to jobs to be done from the job from the design community, to be honest with you, because it's something that can help us actually get our message. It's a different package of that message. Right. It's not task analysis, you know, that was developed 20 years ago, but it's similar. But it's a vehicle to to speak with design. Uh, sorry, with business partners on their on their turf. Right. So for me, it actually helps our cause. And I, I don't know why more people aren't embracing it in the design field, actually. <laughs> so how can somebody listening to this podcast try and test the job to be done framework right away today? R right away today. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, there are a lot of methods and techniques out there. A lot of them are um, kind of owned and run by consultants and they have their own their own process. And what I tried to do in the book was atomize jobs to be done and just break it down into individual techniques. Um, you know, because as a designer myself, sometimes I didn't, I didn't necessarily need a big long process that required a budget and, you know, time. I just wanted to, you know, solve the problem I had in front of me and I thought jobs thinking could help. And I just wanted to do a little bit of it. Um, and that, and that's kind of what I do. That's why I call it the jobs to be done playbook because I break things down into in, like small individual little tasks and, and, and uh, activities, techniques, and but then I also show how you can put those together to make a, make an entire process. Um, so it's really about identifying what is the first of all. You have to understand what's the problem. You know the situation that you're in. Are you are you trying to write a marketing message or design a, a product interface or de develop a roadmap or come up with a strategy, right? And then there are a range of techniques that you can use um, to to 
inject jobs thinking into that activity. One, one simple thing that I think is, is very self-contained uh, and easy to work with is uh, writing job stories. Um, you you might've heard of the job stories technique. It's, it's a very loose technique, so it's hard to get that wrong, quote unquote, because there's, there's almost no, no right to it because it's been interpreted and reinterpreted so many times. It's a, just a very flexible um, technique. But if you go and check out job stories, and that's something you can, you can go and look at research maybe that you've done and say, oh, I'm going to uh, analyze the findings through the lens of a job story, right? So I'm going to generate job stories from the research that I did. And then take those job stories and bring those into a grooming session or a design sprint uh, or, a, uh, or, a, or a regular and agile sprint, right? So then you have this little self-contained little packet of information using the job story format that you, is portable. You can bring that around your project and bring it into your team. So if you want to get started right away, that, that's one of the easiest things that you can do is just go look out, go, go look at job stories, write a couple job stories see, and see how you can bring that into your work. So let's take this further. And now let's imagine that, you know, I'm a designer working on a specific feature of a specific product. Yeah. And this product has a certain job, obviously, to be done. Um, But when I write these job stories that you just mentioned, I figure out that actually, you know, I'm selling a product, but the job to bunny is is much bigger. You know, it's much, Mm -hmm. much broader. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, I'm just, I'm just working on this little small clock and maybe yeah. even this is not helping in the whole aspect because another, this person could use a different way to do the same job. Right. How do you reconcile this as a designer? Does that mean I shouldn't be working on this feature or you know, how do I use this in my, <laughs> for my own advantage? I understand. Yeah, I understand the, the situation. Uh, well, one answer is, yeah, you might, maybe you shouldn't be working on that feature and I think that's one... <clears throat> That's one you know, positive effect of jobs thinking is that it makes you really question, how, how did we prioritize this thing? Why did we prioritize this thing? And as you know, as a designer, sometimes things do come down in, onto your plate that actually aren't, aren't user-centered features or help the, the user. So jobs, to be, jobs thinking can help you push back in that way as well, too. Um, but um, one, of the, one of the things that you mentioned kind of hidden in your question there was this notion of granularity or level of altitude, right? And yeah. it's one of the things in, in that's very, that, you, that you struggle with when you work job. I, I still struggle with it when I work with jobs to be done is at what level of altitude should I be working? And, you know, the real answer is jobs to be done functions at any level of altitude. Right. So you can say, you know, what's the job to be done of this clock that I'm that I'm building inside of my app, like you just said. Right. Mm-hmm. And it might be something, you know, might be something around, you know, keep, keeping on time or, you know, uh, you know, ensuring that you finish uh, the task within a given amount of time, that kind of thing. But that's in the context of the bigger job that that your solution gets done or that people are trying to get done, I should I should say rather that way which then itself might be in the context of a much bigger solution, right? Like, like people want to improve their careers or something like that. Um, and why do they want to do that? It's so that they have a, you know, a happier home life, right? So you can just, you can basically, you can just keep going up this hierarchy until you get to love and happiness, right? <laughs> because it's always, it always ends there. Right. But, you know, let's say, let's, let's take it down even just one level is like, you know, what is your, what is your, what is the value proposition of your entire brand and company let's just say i'm just making this up let's just say it's to improve people's careers right 
And now you're a designer and you're working on a clock and you're like, how does my clock help people improve their careers, right? There's a ladder of steps that you need to go up and down to, to get from there to there. <clears throat> um, so I think, I think the, the, the thing to do is to recognize that and to break it down. So what I would suggest is to actually go down right, if, you're, if you create a job story like I just recommended and it's too high, like you're working on a clock and it's like, I, I want to improve my career. You, you, can, you can always break it down, right? It, it down to the level that you need but in a way that still maintains that job perspective, which is it's not about the solution. It's about the objective that people are trying to get done. So what's the objective that people are trying to get done? Not the feature. What's the objective? And you can always bring it down to the level that, you, that you're trying to work at. One thing you mentioned in your answer was pushing back. So <laughs> using this job story or just the whole framework to push back on the the product roadmap or yeah. prioritization of certain features so how could this framework help you push back and explain we shouldn't be working on the clock clock yeah. because of this and that reason right, right. yeah um yeah, pushback might be, um, and, I, and I also said earlier too, you know, pounding your fist that, you know, th those might not be the right attitude. And it's actually not, not the perspective that I've ever taken. I always just tried to um, sh show people a different perspective, a different view on the thing that we were trying to accomplish together, right? And, and let them come to their own conclusion as well too. And I think that's, that's, what, that's what a lot of the techniques inside of Jobs to be Done do. If you create a job map or do, uh, you know, do interviewing, there's specific interviewing techniques or write job stories. Um, the idea is if you inject this into your team, that the team the, and the people in the team will come to the realization themselves that they don't need a clock. Right. So you, you don't necessarily have to say, hey, hey, you're crazy. People don't need a clock. I have my science and my beliefs because then you're then you're just butting heads and it's belief against belief. You want to you want to use this in a way that that people, you know, they, they come to their own conclusion. I actually say one one success criteria. Um, sorry, success metric for uh, designers should be when when your stakeholders and your teammates are using your language. Right. So mm -hmm. like they've adopted your way, of, then we win. Right. You win. If, if, the, if the product manager starts showing personas and talking about jobs to be done, we win. Right. So I, I see it. I see jobs to be done as a way not to push back like, hey, you're wrong, but to say, hey, here's another perspective. Are you interested in that perspective? Oh, and maybe we can together come to a different conclusion. So it's getting your team basically to adopt your mindset and also I process. So. Right. I think so. Yes. Yeah. So in the book, you talk about two different ways of doing interviews to uh, basically analyze jobs to be done by yeah. your customers. So can we maybe quickly talk about these jobs interviews and switch interviews? Sure. So how do you conduct them and what's the difference and when to use which one? Yeah, that's a good, a good question. I do talk about two ways of interviewing jobs interviews, I call them on the one side, and then the switch interview, which is mm -hmm. a technique that's kind of codified out there um, already. And I kind of see it as working forward versus working backwards. Uh, and by that, I mean, in a jobs interview, you're, you're not coming out with any assumptions or brand or product or, or preconceived notions about a solution. You're talking, you're, your starting point is talking to people about what they're trying to get done and trying to find their objective, right? So you're kind of tr trying to work forward to, okay, you, you know, you're, 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 you're working in this context. What are you actually trying to get done? And, and you kind of start broad and then narrow it down to this, 
to this, um, uh, n- you know, nugget of information. This is your objective. This is your job to be done. And here are the needs that you have around that job to be done. And then that becomes a springboard into uh, creating a solution that solves for that problem. Um, with switch interviews, and, oh, by the way, sorry, just to go back to jobs interviews, um, a lot of that is resembles, you might know, contextual inquiry um, and kind of open interviewing. Um, it, it's, a, it's a lot of that qualitative type of, of work. It can be directed, though. I think jobs interviews are a little bit more directed than open interviewing in, in the context of ethnography, for instance. It is, it is directed because you are trying to get to a specific point. Um, but it's similar to that contextual inquiry like style of interviews. Um, switch interviews were developed by Bob Mesta and, and the guys at Rewired Group. Um, and what that does is it starts with a solution, a product, and it even looks at the purchasing moment for that product. And what you do is you use that to reverse engineer to go backwards to deduce the job to be done by asking, you know, what happened? Okay, so you bought this product and you used it and you were satisfied or not. What happened before that? Okay, you know, I was looking for a product. Well, what was the thing that got you to look for a product? Okay, and what was the thing before that? And what was the thing before that? So you, you work backwards to the point where you're not talking about your product anymore, right? So, but the product is the launch point into the conversation about the jobs to be done. So it's kind of working forward versus working backwards. Um, and, and you can get to the same point, uh, the same point. Um, and in fact, I've, I've, I've heard and talked to a lot of people that use a combination of techniques and they'll use the switch techniques to work backwards, try to deduce the objective that people have in the needs and then kind of work forward using other techniques. So they're actually combining different techniques to do that. Yeah. Um, but it does, I mean, I think the big point there is it does start with research. Right. You shouldn't just go into a room and say, hey, I'm going to create a job map or let's brainstorm job stories. Let's just make crap up. Right. You know, so it does begin with some type of qualitative interviewing. It can get quantitative later, but it does start with some type of qualitative interviewing. And whether it's a jobs interview, as I described, or switch, uh, you have to determine what's best for you. So with all of these open interview style um, yeah, interviews, usually the questions are not predetermined, but I feel like. A lot of the times you go back to certain way of asking or maybe even certain most important questions that you need to ask. So I'm just wondering whether there is any, uh, you know, like fundamental things you have to cover in a jobs interview. Yeah. Um, I, I think you, you do start um, trying, to, um, trying to look at the process. So I think, I think some of the questions, and you'll see this in the switch interview as well too, is... Um, on, on the one hand, it can be chronological. Um, okay. So, you know, you did that thing yesterday. What did you do before that? And what did you do before that as well too? As I said, I see an objective as a process. So one of the, the mindsets as the interviewer that you have to have is you're trying to uncover this process around the objective, right? So you're going to ask, what did you do before that? And what did you do after that? Right. I think the other, the other thing that you have to start asking is, well, why did you do that as well, too? Um, and you can actually steer the granularity of your questioning by asking why. If you ask why, you go up, up in abstraction. And then if you ask how, you actually get more specific. So if somebody says, you know, I checked my email, you know, okay, that's a very specific task. You, you want to say, well, why did you do that? Right? And it's, oh, I'm looking for, um, you know, critical messages from my customer. Well, why do you need to do that? 
uh, you know, be, because that's a key part of my job is, you know, being able to do that. So why you go up in granularity and how, right? So, so you need to look at the chronology and then being asking why and how. So you go left to right with chronology and then why and how to go up and down in granularity. The, the other, the other, th the third thing that you can think about when you're doing a jobs interview as well, too, is using something co uh, called the critical incident technique. Um, rather than asking generic questions and getting generic questions back, like, why do you check your email? Oh, I like to, you know, prioritize my work before the day. You ask, how, what did you do yesterday? So you ask for a specific point in time so that you get specific answers back. Because one thing in open interviewing, people start theorizing about the ideal answer that they think the interview wants to, the interviewer wants to hear, right? But by asking about, tell me the last time you had a critical message in your inbox, right? Um, that that then they start talking about a specific uh, a, a specific uh, set of circumstances. From there, you can start being generic as well too. Um, but there are techniques like that. So asking on the timeline, asking why and how, and then asking about a specific incident that, you know, if you only have an hour with somebody, that's that's not enough time, actually, to just kind of cycle through all those different uh, perspectives that you want to get out. And how many interviews should you have to come up with reliable results? As many as you can. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pragmatist, and I've been in lots of situations where, uh, you know, like I said, you know, way back in whatever, 2003 or 2004, whenever that article came out, um, I didn't have projects or resources or time to do a lot of this. And I was sneaking some of it into other efforts that I was doing, even something as innocent as a usability test, right? And then, oh, let me ask the user a couple questions before they leave the, the, the studio. So I was doing this very covert. Uh, it was an extracurricular project. And I was happy to get a handful of interviews, right? Um, Ideally, um, so and you know, in my my perspective, that's better than none. Some people would argue with me there as well too. Ideally, though, uh, to answer your question more directly, I think ideally you can start seeing patterns at about six. Um, I, if I'm doing a serious study, though, I want to get above ten. Like if I really yeah. want to go back with results and say, hey, here here's the job map or you know the process, and here are all the needs. Uh, I, I, I want to get into the 10 range. I've done, I've done studies where I've been more in the 20 to 40 range even. But if you've ever done qualitative interview, you get a ton of data back. If you, for, for every, every hour of, of interviewing, that's about 30 pages of transcribed text, right? So if you do 20 interviews, that's 600 pages of text. That's a lot of data to go through, right? So mm -hmm. uh, when, when you're talking about, you know, qualitative interviewing sample size 20, that's a lot of work. And once you do 10, 20, 30 yeah. interviews, how does the synthesis look like? I mean, first of all, what is the process of synthesis? And second of all, once you have the results, how do you, what's the format in which you share it with a theme? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, from a there, the the answer is, I mean, once you have that qualitative data, let's say you have 600 pages of qualitative text, there's a lot of things you can do with that, right? You can generate all kinds of models. You can go to the book um, Contextual Inquiry and start generating all of their models that they have from that as well, too. You can generate personas. Um, so there, there are lots of things you can do with that qualitative data. Uh, but from a jobs perspective, one of the key outputs that I highlight in the book and I recommend I, I would just recommend in general that people do is create what I call a job map. Uh, it's a term that I got from Tony Olwick. 
of course, I wrote a book on mapping experiences too. So it's not a coincidence that for me, inside of the jobs to be done field that I'm attracted to the jobs map or job map. Uh, but the job map is basically a chronological uh, visualization, you know, boxes and arrows of the process of getting that job done. Um, and that for me be- becomes a springboard into conversations that you can have with the team. So you can take your little clock feature and say, where does this fit in the, in the job map, right? And, oh, we're doing this. Yeah, but if we don't, if we don't have the, the thing before that or after that, it doesn't matter if I have a clock. We also need these other things. And it helps you contextualize the thing that you're doing and also give you confidence, I think, by, by kind of laddering up. You know, so, you, so you do the research. And one of the key outputs for me is a job map. That lets you then orient the actual solution that you're building to that job map. So you can see, are we, are we focused on getting the job done early in the job or later in the job? Where's our opportunity? Um, you can map job stories back to that as well, too. You can even look at little features and say, where, where does that fit into the, into the user's job? What are they trying to do with that? And how does that fit into a bigger picture? So for me, a job map would be a key outcome, but it could also be job stories. Um, there could be personas in there as well, too. There could be a lots of different formats. It depends on, it depends on the formality of your research, right? If you're just working in a startup, you could do these jobs interviews and then have a, you know, whiteboard in the room with sticky notes and persona made of sticky notes and a job map made of sticky notes. And that's fine. If you're, you know, if you're going to present this research to the CEO of a bank, you're going to want a more formal output as well, too. So the output depends, too. Right. Um... So are there any, maybe just to make this a little bit more concrete, yeah. um, do you have any story, case study, example of what you or another team that have used the, um, you know, the jobs to be done framework, what did they find out and how did this affect the product, the, the company at large? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, my, uh, the head of uh, product design at Mural, the company that I work for, is also interested in jobs to be done. And we have a blog post. I can, I can, send, this, I can send this over so we can include it in the podcast too. Um, a blog post where he outlines very briefly, um, you know, doing some, some jobs research uh, up front. And then we created a job map, which I use in, I use in my work, uh, which is customer experience and customer success. But from a product side, what they do is they use that to help prioritize the roadmap as well too so they break down a backlog and try to align it to the job map um, and then from there generate uh, job stories uh, and then from there you can take a, a subset of job stories and bring that into a sprint as well mm-hmm. too and the idea is to is to ground your sprint or even your feature to ground it in that original research and have a, a traceable path so we did the research we came up with the model, which is a job map. From that, we derived a prioritization. From that, we derived the actual features. But while you're working on that feature, and, and the, you know, we, we actually touched on this exact point in the beginning of the interview. You're sitting there staring at a, a feature that you got to implement. I got to add a clock to this app, mm-hmm. right? You want to know how does this fit into the bigger picture? And by, by tying your roadmap and your prioritization and the feature sets all the way back to the job map, which is anchored in the research, you as a designer have confidence that what you're doing is grounded in reality. But does that mean that jobs or tasks that are closer to the biggest job to be done are the ones that need to be prioritized? 
you know, like should the clock be deprioritized because it's further away from the main thing? Not, not or, necessarily. Not, not necessarily. So how do you how do you prioritize yeah. then? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I think there are, I think there are other vectors that come into prioritization as well too. Effort, right? You're right there, right? Yeah. The, the the clock might be something that's easy to do, but has a big impact on getting the job done, right? So you might you might prioritize that thing because of its uh, ease of implementation. There, mm -hmm. I mean, there, there, are lots of, uh, there are lots of other things. I think brand and strategy also come into play as well too. At some point in time, all of this research um, has to smack up against other frameworks inside of the organization as well too. Um, and you start looking at competitors as well too. Well, you know, our competitor is going into a different direction than we are and the clock for us is actually an anchor into a new uh, differentiator, differentiating section. I'm not going to say the clock is the differentiator. It's, it's not. But the clock might re rep start representing a new way of differentiating, right? So right. market differentiation, strategy, brand, effort, all of these things come into prioritization as well, too. I think the jobs vector is just one of them. The thing is, that's very often missing in a lot of our prioritization exercises, that, that view, right? It's easy to prioritize by effort. It's easy to prioritize by strategy or what the CEO wants, right? It's it's about bringing that other dimension into the into the into the field. And sometimes you'll get some very clear and big wins as well too, because you'll say, "Holy crap! We if we didn't have that other perspective, that jobs thinking view, right? We would we would have missed the importance of that thing, right?" Um, so it's not a silver bullet. It doesn't solve all your problems. It's not going to make decisions for you. Jobs to be done does not make decisions for you. Right. In fact, it might make decision making even harder. Right. It, it, it definitely adds complexity. Right. To things yeah. as well, too. But I think it's up to us to embrace that complexity on behalf of the individual, the human side of it, the user side of it. Right. That's what we need to do by bring, by saying, hey, we want to be user centered. We're actually injecting complexity back into decision making and we can't back off from that as either. Yeah, but I think it's a good bridge for designers to make from just customer perspective to the business because it kind of explains yep. how these two work together. Absolutely. And I'm actually really glad you mentioned strategy because that's another part of the book that really intrigued me. Um, I think it's chapter seven, really. Uh, I forgot the exact chapter, but yeah. the subchapter in there is a job to be done growth strategy matrix. Yeah. yeah. Basically, yeah. this is where job to be done and strategy thinking kind of start colliding. Can yeah, you absolutely. explain a little bit more about this matrix and just in general how job to be done can help us think strategically? Sure, sure. Um, first of all, be, before I you know, talk about that specifically, I want to say that the, the book is a collection of methods that are already out there in the field. I, I'm not. I'm not bring. I'm not saying. Hey, I, I have my new my new way of doing jobs thinking. What I wanted to do was collect practices that are out there already, put them all in one place, and kind of position them or relativize them against each other. First of all, uh, and the reason why I say that is because this, this the strategy growth matrix, the jobs to be done strategy growth matrix, is a very specific technique that a technique that Tony Olwick developed with his company called Stratagen. And I reference this in the book. I, you know, I give them full credit for it. Um, but it's basically about um, trying to come up with a typology of strategies, um, which exist out there already. You might have seen like the BCG growth matrix or the Ansoff yeah. matrix and things like that. 
Um, and all of those have kind of a, a, a total addressable market kind of view on things, dollar signs or number of eyeballs that you're going to address, right? And, and what this is, it's a way to come up with a diff, to, to um, categorize different types of strategies, but based on the jobs that people are trying to get done, right? Um, so you can then say, hey, we want to we have a solution that targets a type of a job as kind of a strategic vector for your company as well, too. Um, so um, that's the other thing, too, that I think differentiates jobs to be done from similar techniques in design. Um, as I said before, um, jobs thinking can be applied to any discipline in an organization, support, customer success, sales, marketing, any, any of those. But it's also this strategic component as well, too, I think is also what differentiates it from similar design techniques um, as well, too. Um, it gets kind of complex and a little bit theoretical. It's abstract <clears throat> to some degree and um, difficult to drive. I don't want to say it's easy to base your strategy on jobs thinking. It requires a lot of unthinking. Um, and high-powered consultants like Tony Olwick can go in there and, and kind of do that. Um, so it's probably unrealistic that you're going to kind of go in and, you know, to your executives and say, hey, we're going to base our strategy on this. However, I think it, for me, again, like we said before, it's about trying to bring that perspective to the table. And Jobs to be Done lets us bring a human-centered perspective even to the strat corporate strategy table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and just looking at this matrix, so the specifically job to be done growth strategy matrix, yeah. um, what we have is two axes, right? Uh, so one is about, on one axis, we have how well does a certain product get the job done, so worse or better. And on the x-axis, we have how much the company is charging, right? R right, then, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, I mean... And then we have basically four or five different strategies based on that. One is differentiated strategy, like win yeah. un, underserved uh, customers only. Then we have discrete strategy where we can win customers mm -hmm. with limited options, etc. But it's interesting to me how basically taking this concept of job to be done can actually identify certain gaps in the market beyond, as you said yourself, beyond yeah. the total addressable yeah. market. How big is the market? Where yeah. these companies uh, are competing geographically, and we go into the space yeah. of um, how close are how how well are they getting the job done, and how much are they charging right. for that, right? Yeah, exactly, and in what way are they getting the job done, and um, and and things like that. Um, you know, a lot of companies grow grow these days by acquisition, and I've been in 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 large I've worked in large companies that you know were acquiring other companies at a rate of, you know, one per quarter and things like that. And certainly if you get to a really big organization like IBM or SAP, they're, they're acquiring like one company a month. Right. Um, and you know, this, and obviously, you know, the people in strategy and business development in those companies, they're looking at a, a total landscape, right. Of where do they want to move the business? And, you know, um, there's probably lots of different matrices and things that they're using to, to decide what company they're going to buy. And again, this is just another way to, to kind of uh, either justify or refute a hypothesis around why would we buy that company? And so, well, they get a different job done than we do, or that shifts the, jo the job uh, target that our solutions kind of, you know, address and things like that. Um, so, I, I, again, I think, it's a, I think it's another perspective. It, it makes you know this multi now it's a 
a cube or a cube with, you know, nine sides, you know, this, this thing that you can kind of turn and look at it from different perspectives. And it yeah. doesn't say, you, you know what, uh, jobs to be done doesn't say give up all your other strategy um, techniques. And it doesn't say give up all your other design techniques, right? You still do usability testing and prototyping and make a persona and make a journey map. All of those things still go, you know, but you, you kind of, you can add this, this new perspective to it. And that's why I said, you know, at the beginning of the podcast here too, I see jobs to be done as a perspective, not as a technique or a method. It's a, it's a way of seeing, and you can, uh, you can borrow any of these exercises or activities to help inject some of that thinking into your current project. Perfect. So Jim, thanks a lot for sharing the very specific knowledge with us in this podcast. Maybe just as a final question, like when is your book coming out? Uh, where can we get the, the you know, early copies or pre-order them? And um, what are you most excited about the book yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the book's going to be out in the beginning of April. I think April 7th is the exact date. Uh, don't quote me on that, but the first week in April, the book should be out. It's being published by Rosenfeld Media. Um, so if you uh, look it up on the Rosenfeld Media website, you can find the uh, the book page there. And there is a pre-order button, I believe, where you can get, uh, where you can order, pre-order the, pre-order the book there too. It'll be available on Amazon and everywhere else. Uh, once it's out, but uh, pre-orders are being taken at Rosenfeld Media. That's uh, rosenfeldmedia.com, I believe, is the URL there. Um, you know, like I said at the beginning, too, uh, I've been I've been working in this area for a long time, talking to people, reading a lot, trying different techniques in different companies, different situations uh, for a very long time. Um, I'm starting to, starting to feel there's a lot of interest in jobs to be done right now. Like there's, it's kind of like booming almost, I would say it's on, yeah. it's on the you know, tip of everybody's tongue. It seems these days. So I'm kind of excited to engage in a, in a broader conversation. Uh, I mean, I already have, but I think, I hope after the book comes out, you know, particularly from my perspective that I have more opportunities to do, to do podcasts like these. Uh, that people will invite me to come speak at their company or give a workshop. I have a nice workshop on this, by the way, um, half day and a day long workshop. It's really fun. Um, uh, people in, enjoy it. Um, so I hope to be doing more of that. Um, so basically, you know, what I'm looking forward to is just keeping that conversation going and figuring it out together. Right. Um, it, you know, this is a new, a new thing for some people and it's not going to solve all your problems, but let's figure it out together. Yeah, once you're deep into the rabbit hole, like when you know so much about a certain topic, you don't know what others are struggling with. So getting some of that feedback is very exciting, right? Yeah. Well, I learned from that too. One of the things I always say is I learn learn by, you know, when I give a workshop, I learn so much because somebody asks a simple, innocent question and and then you don't have an answer for it. And you're like, oh my God, that is such a good question. And I didn't think about it. So that's why I say I I I love, you know, uh, engaging in that conversation as well too, because every time I have a dialogue or a conversation or somebody asks a question in a workshop, I learn from that as well too. Um, And, you know, we just continue to continue to improve. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Jim. And for all the listeners, you can find the links for, for the book and to also Jim's Twitter profile in the, on the website. So all the links are in there and also on the uh, podcast description in your podcast app. So cool. Thanks again, Jim, for taking the time and sharing the knowledge with us. Thanks for having me. It was great to be here. Cool. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jim and that you found some useful 
skills and tips for how you can bridge this gap between design and business. Uh, but also I wanted to invite you to the DMBA. So if you're interested in this intersection and you want to lead design in your uh, company and have better conversations with business leaders in your company, then you should definitely check out the DMBA where we basically in six weeks go from zero to a hundred, basically looking at most important business skills that designers need to prepare you for better consultancy work or better also in-house work. So if you're creating a product in-house. Um, so the next DMBA is just around the corner. It's going to start at the end of February, but the applications will open at the end of January. So if you're interested, definitely sign up for the waiting list, which you can find on beyondusers.com or beyondusers.com slash DMBA. And here's just a quick snippet of our alumni, Rui, who took the DMBA 3, so the previous intake. Um, so he's explaining a little bit about his experience and what the end result of him taking the DMBA was. After working for more than 10 years as a designer and uh, climbing the ladder to become a creative director, I really had to change my conversation with the stakeholders. You know, like, is the design functional and desirable? And uh, what impact does it have on the business uh, side? So for that matter, the DMBA kept inspiring me every week and I could see a real impact uh, week after week and I could see that I could use the tools as well. So it was um, very useful and I could apply it straight away. So the most cool thing is that at the end of the course, it even gave me the confidence to quit my job and uh, start a startup. So who thought about that? 